How can we entertain kids and educate them at the same time? That's come as one of the biggest challenges you have. So how do you engage them when you're not using technology? I, I think student voice is super important. They have a lot of great ideas and they're very innovative. Like when you're having career day. Sure. You always see the doctors and the lawyers and the businessmen, which is great. And that's what we want kids to aspire to be. But this is world of opportunity, being an electrician, being an HVAC, being a carpenter that kids are not exposed to. Produced by Podcast Architects. Welcome back to another episode of The Path Forward. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Rick Fernandez, where we talk education and innovation. Quick shout out to John Lambert of the Cannon, who was gracious enough to allow us to podcast here at the Fish Creek location in Montgomery, Texas. And my guest, John Valiente, Willis ISD, the Executive Director of Secondary Education. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate that. So secondary education, what does that even mean? Well, it's all junior high and high school, uh, DAP programs, and anything that falls in between that. Uh, so when you said secondary education, I'm thinking like the first time I didn't do so well, so I had to go back <laughs> and give it a second chance, um, which may or may not have happened depending on uh, who you speak to about my college experience. But speaking of experience, talk to me about your career, right? How did you get started in education, and then how are we ending up in Willis ISD? All right. Well, this is uh, entering my 23rd year in education. Um, you know, I didn't start off in education. I was a history major, looking to get into law school. Started subbing, ran into an old coach, uh, really enjoyed the substitute experience. And I said, you know, what am I doing? Uh, went alt certified and uh, got a, started subbing in Aldi and ISD. Got my first job as a coach and teacher in Sci Fair back in 2001 under the great leadership of Diana Lewis. And kind of went from there, um, coached and taught for a while, then became an administrator, uh, was in CFISD for six years as an administrator before I transitioned to uh, the alma mater, the home campus there, Aldine Nimitz. I was there for five years, and then the last two were as like the associate curriculum. Well, then, I, then you found me in Tomball, and I came over and worked for you for a while. I did find you, yes. That, yeah. was, that was a good find. <laughs> And then I uh, was at Tomball Memorial for a year as the associate, then Tomball High for two, and then Creekside Park for three as a principal, and now I've transitioned over to Willis ISD. So i got to ask, when did you know you were not going to be a lawyer? And what, what was the, the, the epiphany that said, ah, this ain't for me? Uh, I think when I started going around some law firms and really kind of, not like an internship, but just kind of seeing the work was uh, not as glorious as it was on TV. You know, it was just uh, in a cubicle doing research all day. There wasn't a lot of interaction. And uh, the the pace of education, of working at junior high or high school, right. was definitely more my fit. So I knew kind of then after I visited various law firms that that was probably not for me. So what you're saying is you thought you were going to be like Tom Cruise on uh, A Few Good Men, and that was going to be the experience. And Absolutely. It, and then you realize, like, no, nah, I'm just I'm just pushing papers from this side to the other side. Yeah, everything on law and order is not the way it is in reality. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Wait till you hire a lawyer, and it's, you, <laughs> you quickly learn that it has it's not that glorious to pay them either. So, well, I got to ask, so Willis ISD, why there? Why now? Uh, Willis is... 
mean, it's it's booming. They're supposed to uh, double in population for student population in the next eight years from around 8,000 to 16,000. Uh, you know, as, as Houston continues to reach out to further and further northern and western suburbs, uh, there's a lot of good work to be done. There's a lot of foundation that's already been done by our great leader, Dr. Harkrider, uh, and just want to continue his work, continue his legacy that he's established there. And, you know, the, um, as they grow, they have excellent leaders, and I just want to be a part of that. So you're transitioning from the the leader of a building, a campus, right? And now you're going to Willis ISD, and now you're going to be leading the leaders of campuses. What do you think are going to be some of the the great things, but also maybe some of the things that are that are challenges in, in a change of role? I'll start off with the challenges. I think it's just uh, becoming acclimated with the community, you know, knowing the ins and outs uh, of the area, knowing the student population, getting out, meeting parents, uh, business leaders. Um, uh, you know, just kind of their practices and policies are almost all sure. the same everywhere, but just really uh, learning, you know, the DNA of Willis ISD. And, and that's so important, right? Obviously, the relationships and, and understanding not only the staff and the leaders, but the, most importantly, the students. You know, speaking of students, what are the things that you're seeing across your when you started your career to up to now? What are the changes that have happened that are creating all of these different variables that kids have to go go through? You know, I think it's trying to keep up with the technology, right? I mean, I see it at home, too, with my own kids. Right. It's like, how can we entertain kids and educate them at the same time? That's almost one of the biggest challenges you have, right? Everything is so technology-driven now. Right. So how do you engage them when you're not using technology? Um, that was one of the questions I asked, you know, when I interviewed, and it really stuck with me because a computer should be a pen and paper or a typewriter. You know, it, it's supposed to innovate and help you create and right. synthesize ideas. So I think that's one of our biggest challenges that we have is how can we use technology to continue to innovate and educate kids as you know we, you and I have talked about how many jobs are out there that haven't been created but will be out there in the next five years ten years two years from now so from a leadership standpoint right that that process and that work is evolving as well because as kids are changing as the technology is changing as the standards of, of education are changing well, that would make the leadership pathway have to evolve as well. What are some of the challenges that leaders are facing now that they didn't see five years ago, 10 years ago? Uh, definitely some of the challenges I think would be creating the pathways to keep up with, you know, industry. So right? talk, speak, speak on that a little bit. When you're talking about industry and, and the pathway, like, dig in a little bit. So Willis ISD was pretty innovative. Their career in technology uh, – campus they created that probably a while ago I think in the mid to 2012 13 14 around there so they were pretty innovative out here in Montgomery County um, and so what's happening is as new industries created Mm-hmm. You know, it, the secondary education or just educa- public education has to keep up with producing quality workers, right? And what does that look like? Is it a combination with them in community colleges, with universities? Right. How do we start prepping these students for the jobs of tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Willis ISD has done a good job of creating career pathways, and we're always looking at uh, new pathways coming along with new technologies and just really creating those partnerships with industries and uh, local colleges and universities around us. You know, as adults, we often 
think through, all right, we need this or that for kids, right? But we still have a framework from when we attended high school or when we attended yeah. college or for some of us when we were in college but didn't attend <laughs> class. I'm, I'm That's probably more you than me, but... You know, I never missed. Yeah, the but our our mental model of what it should look like it, that's hard to, to shift. How do we help parents and teachers adapt quicker to whatever the changes are? And and even if we don't have that course, we know we need it. How do we get people there quicker? I think this is where student voice comes in a little bit too, right? Okay. So really having those student advisory panels. Uh, you know, what does that look like at your district, on your campus, even at the elementary level? What does that look like? What, are, what do kids need? What do they want to learn in? And then again, I go back to having those business partnerships uh, mm-hmm. within the community, too. It's like, what are their expectations? What what do they see graduates or future, uh, you know, students coming out? Like, what skills do they not have? What, you know, what skills do they need to learn so they can come out and be hired right away? So I think it's a combination of just communicating that with our business partners, talking to the kids. You know, I, I think student voice is super important. I learned that as being the secondary principal. Uh, just listen to what the kids, they have a lot of great ideas, mm-hmm. and they're very innovative. Um, and, and, of course, just relaying that and communicating to parents. you got to keep parents abreast of, you know, um, innovation and technologies because I know, like my parents, they had no idea what was going on right. unless somebody communicated and to just them. trying right? to put foot on the table and take uh, care of you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant right here and tell me where I'm wrong, right? So you know how much I love CTE, career and tech and all of those yeah. things. But I struggle with when we introduce programs that we may know as adults is great opportunity. Um, but to a, to a student, there's no connection. There's no understanding. Really and truly, we don't know how to sell it to them, yeah. right? Um, and I'll give you a prime example. HVAC technician. A lot of schools across the country implementing that coursework, that pathway, that certification process. And depending on where you are, that's a very good living, right? You can, you, can, you can make a great living uh, with a certification doing that. But my, my pushback is, well, how do you sell that to a 13, 14, 15-year-old student? And how do you get them to care or to be invested in it? Because every technician that I've ever met either had a family member, an uncle, somebody that, you know, took them along and and took them to work or something because no one that I know grew up saying, Hey, what do you want to be when you grew up? I want to be an HVAC technician or I want to be that that typically doesn't happen. So I think when we are offering new programs or, or we're really pushing certain programs, we have to have the mindset of how do we sell these programs? And I don't think we do that. I think we Think about, well, as an adult, I can see the value in this. So surely these kids are, but that just doesn't, doesn't work like that. I think we have to look at reality in the workforce that we have now, right? Uh, for the last 30, 40 years, we've been pushing four-year universities, which is great, sure, right? But you have to look at the two-year universities you know, where you can get your associates or you can go to technical schools, and that's immediate. Um, it gives those kids immediate freedom, economic freedom, right? They can come out two years and they're making great money. Right. Um, but you have to start selling that early, even even at elementary, right? Like when you're having career day. Sure. You always see the doctors and the lawyers and the businessmen, which is great. And that's what we want kids to aspire to be. But this is world of opportunity, being an electrician, being an HVAC, being a carpenter that kids are not exposed to. So 
you can't just do it once a year. It's got to be a constant exposure yearly, and then you do it at the junior high. You know, do we have courses, curriculums where they have, uh, where they can explore different career pathways, right? So it's just really bombarding them with the opportunities, like not just hearing, hey, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor, you're a doctor, but just letting kids know, man, there's so many opportunities out there. And then by having those programs, again, working with those business partnerships uh, in the community and, and having kids go and have the opportunity to visit those uh, industries, maybe be, get some internships in the sure. summer, uh, and just really get acclimated to the knowledge that they need to know that, hey, there's a lot of opportunity out here for me, and this is an option. You brought up apprenticeships, internships, and you know my thought is we don't do that very well in education. There's, there's all of these perceived barriers, but in reality, those barriers don't exist, and we have industry that want to partner more so than ever because we can't find skilled workers. Why can't we do a better job of that on the education side? I think we need to be more intentional, like us we talked about earlier, in, by creating those pathways, but also offering those opportunities with industries, whether you're getting MOUs, uh, where those kids have those opportunities. Well, you know, is it part of the the district's uh, improvement plan. Right. I, I think it has to be embedded and it has to be a goal for you. If you just say you're going to do it, it's not going to happen. Right. But if it's a goal, it's part of your strategic learning plan moving forward, then then it's going to happen. Right. Cause you're going to have that monitoring and evaluative piece. Um, and just really, again, it's going back out there to the community, seeing what the needs are and, and selling it to, to the staff, to the kids and, and to the parents. How do we as educators remove some of those barriers, the the red tape, some of the bureaucracy. I mean, I think if COVID taught us anything that right now a classroom can be done anywhere and there's not the the scheduling issues anymore. There's not the, we don't have the access. Now we do. So why not leverage that to a higher degree? I think, you know, as part of being a district of innovation is the certification piece right? How can we get qualified candidates who are out in industry and they're making great money or maybe, uh, fix, you know, work retired mm-hmm. HVAC technicians can come and teach some classes. You know, can we have it online? You know, we're like you said, with COVID, we were all online. Uh, yeah. You know, if we can't find them in, in, in real person, can we have online classes? Cause we have the technology. We even threw some courses, uh, that are online based, you know, right. at the high schools, uh, if need be. So I think that is part part of it is just removing that red tape and getting those certified people or expediting that certification process if they have industry experience. How do we flip the the mental model for the adults in terms of CT? And what I mean by that is if if you and I were talking about uh, auto tech or, or woodshop or any type of CTE program that we were a part of in, in high school, totally different experience. Not to say you're old, but you are. <laughs> totally different experience than what kids have access to now. Um, but that's our frame of reference. And so I'm, yeah. I'm, I immediately go back to what I experienced. That's no longer the case. And this this perception that sometimes CTE is either the, oh, those aren't the kids that are going to college, or this is blue collar or not, yeah. not thought as of highly, which is totally incorrect. How do we get our, our parents more on board with the understanding like, hey, these jobs are more lucrative than a four-year college degree in debt and then a job after college. You know, and a lot of those uh, opportunities can come out with less debt, 
Um, you know, the cost of a four-year university now is astronomical. Not like when you and I went to school, it was pretty cheap. I mean, compared, Rarely, yes. you know, compared to what it is today. I think it's educating the parents. Educating, I, I think a lot of times they don't even know what the salaries are unless they're in that industry, right? right. And like you right. said earlier, if dad's done it, if grandpa's done it, uh, then, you know, they're going to be a journeyman electrician or they're going to be a, a, you know, a pipe you know, pipe worker or anything of that sure. nature. So I think it's educating the parents, you know, as ISDs, what are we doing? Are we having uh, parent meetings with them? Are we having community meetings? We'll say, hey, these are all the opportunities. Our kids know the opportunities, but are the parents educated on all the options that are out there? Uh, and I guarantee that's probably not happening, as good as it can be across the state. Yeah, and I don't know that we're always the ones that should be doing the the educating, meaning sometimes it's coming from us. They're always hearing from us. Yeah. They're always, we're always asking for more time, more meeting, more, more everything. Um, it would be great if the industry was really leading that process and we're just there kind of, Hey, there, this is, this is industry speaking, right? So we can help facilitate how do we prepare students, but you're hearing it essentially from the horse's mouth. I think that's critical because they seem to believe the, those folks, more readily, which I, I would too. They're living it, right? All right, well, let's, let's change gears for a minute. You know I love everything, feedback, coaching, all of that. I'm not going to ask you for your comments on how, how, <laughs> how well that went. No, I am going to ask you. I am going to ask you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how many times were you ready to strangle me over the phone or, or after, after an ask, I'll say? Well... Coming from my other district, I was used to that. So really, used to what? When you say used to that, used to what? I, I was used to having an answer ready for you. Okay. Like I, I knew I was trained well that I had to have an answer. And if I didn't have an answer, I better have an answer soon, right? But I wasn't going to tell a tall tale. Uh, so uh, I would say five. That's not bad. I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that every day of the week. Um, but really and truly, one of the things that we've struggled with holistically is being very specific on our yeah. feedback and being very intentional, not only with our coaching, but the time we allot to it. Now more than ever, when things are changing so fast, you have to spend more time involved in that process. That's my belief. Yeah. And that's not for education. That's for everybody, Every anybody that has a team or that's Absolutely. grown. You have to. But all the other stuff gets in the way. When we're evolving so fast, how do you make that a priority on the campuses for the principals and then also make it a priority for the people you want to coach you? So I go back to that word intentional, right? It has to, it has to have value and mean something to you. And this is something actually I've already talked to uh, my secondary principals and, and our team there is what is our process for providing systematic feedback? To, to our campus principals, to our campus APs, and to our teachers, right? Mm -hmm. They're the ones with the kids. So, and, and it's what, what does that feedback look like from teacher to kid, from kid to kid, from kid to teacher, from AP to teacher, from coaches to teachers, uh, you know, the whole the whole gamut there. And so that's something we're reevaluating is how effective is our feedback? What's the time lapse on our feedback, right? right? Yeah. Like, is it within a couple of days? Is it the next week? Are we making that loop back to see if they implement that feedback? Sure. So we're working with some systems that we're going to be rolling out uh, this fall. And it's actually some stuff I learned from you. You know, well, I appreciate that. The, the hard part for me was always the belief that you have the most critical piece of our country in your classroom right Correct. now. The future, right? 
And as educators, we know inherently that we're trying to prepare them for something, whatever that something may be, is usually dictated or probably should be dictated on what is industry, what is college, how is that evolving? When we're talking about coaching and feedback, one of the things that always frustrated me is we should be the most flexible, the quickest to adapt and evolve because that's what our kids are going to need and that's what they're going to see out in the real world. How do we become that where we can quickly adapt, we can give specific feedback, and then it's actionable so teachers can actually use it? I think that's culture is part of that. Okay. Right? Culture is culture and climate. Like what's the culture and climate on your campus and your office staff? If, if it's cold and just direct, is that a distributive form of leadership? Like what's the purpose, right? Teachers have to know that you're there to support them. I don't want to overuse the word support, but you're a resource to help them improve Mm -hmm. by helping them improve. Students are learning, right? It's the key word learning. They can teach all day, but if kids aren't learning, then What's the purpose of feedback? So I, th- I think part of that is really creating that climate and culture. And how are you going to model that on your campus? Teachers have to have that buy-in and that trust that you're trying to help them get better, right? It's not a gotcha moment. They should be they should be used to seeing you in the classroom. It should be a commonality that administrators are going in the classrooms, providing that feedback, but also that open loop where teachers can provide feedback to feedback to administrators. Right. Right. Like, is that happening? Because if it's only one way, then you're not going to have that shared responsibility and it's not going to happen on your campus or, you know, at your ISD. You know, you did a great job of creating a culture of feedback amongst colleagues when you were specifically when you were in Tomball High School. Right. Um, you built the PLCs and, and along with the, the admin team that they were interacting and they were giving each other feedback, which ultimately, you know, this yeah. being a former athlete, like if the team can hold each other accountable and support and, and help each other grow, that's the ultimate goal where you're just somewhat guiding the, you're just there for help. Um, how are you going to take that and maybe bring that to a principal leadership team or a principal professional learning community? I'm going to model it for them when we get over there. But like I said, we, that's something we've talked about and discussed. Like, what are we missing, right? Like, we've got great leaders. We're giving feedback, but that, that loophole is delayed. So we're going to model that for them when they come back. Um, but I think one of the biggest thing is I'm going to attend those PLCs, sure. right? I'm going to have them read um, their feedback to me, their APs, like, because I want to be intentional. Like, is it happening? Right. Because right. I'm holding their principles accountable. This can be part of their goals is sure. what does the feedback look like? Right. And is it systematic and strategic? Uh, and the biggest word is it actionable. Um, and so that's something that we're going to work on uh, to get better at. But I think by modeling that, being in there, giving them feedback on their feedback, um, you know, we're going to create uh, – like a feedback loop and even just adjusting the monitoring schedules, like how um, thorough our schedules are we getting in the classroom? What's the sure. goal? Is it five a week? Is it 10 a week? I mean, we have to be reasonable. Sure. Right. And so my, you know, my idea has always been, I'd rather do five to six solid constructive walkthroughs with feedback than just do 12 or 15 where it's not, you know, they're, they're, it's not being intentional and there's no productivity coming from that. Awesome. All right, I got to ask you this since we're going to we're going to transition to some more personal content. So your wife, Stacy, is a principal. Correct. You want to send a shout out to her and, and her school real quick? Hey, Stace, just want to give you a shout out. You and the Zwink Zebras, hope you're doing well. Now, I got to ask you, 
Y'all both being administrators at the same time, who's the better principal and why? Dude, the fact that you even got to think about this is... Man, I can't believe you put me on the spot like that, but you know I'm going to say her. Yeah, okay, but why? Why? She's my wife. No, uh, really, she is... I keep using that word intentional, but everything she does is strategic and systematic and serves a purpose. Like she is very business like, but yet has a fun culture because she loves kids. Um, she's passionate about kids. Not that I'm not, but she's very passionate. She's just very gregarious. Uh, I don't never see her with a sour face each and every day is a new day for her. It's a new challenge. I'm just going to help stop you right there because I know you've messed up enough that she's had to put on a sour face of something you've done, but we'll just, we'll, something I've done. Yes. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. So I got to ask this. So when you come home and obviously you're going through similar circumstances, similar challenges, right? Have you learned that maybe when there's a barrier that, or she's talking about something, you're not there to fix it as, yes. a, as, as a principal? How well do you do with that? So uh, I've had to slowly learn, <laughs> slowly learn to do the Sullivan nod sometimes, you know, just uh, nod and effectively listen. Not just hear her because she's going to ask me like some reflective questions to make sure I was listening. So um, I give her all the attention. Right. For like at least a good 15, 20 minutes when we get home, we'll talk about work and then we're done. Do you, so how do you, I cannot turn off, like I can do this, but I'm immediately trying to solve whatever it is. I, in, in my head, I'm, I'm trying to solve it. Like, mm, we need to do this and we need to do this and this is what I would do and why we would do it. Like, yeah. And I don't say, I've learned not to say it most of the time, but I'm always trying to, to solve. I don't, I don't think you can get rid of that, that piece of you because I'll it, text her. Yeah, I uh, won't say anything. I'll just text her my thoughts. All right. Well, that's something we think we'll, we'll both continue to work on. <laughs> um, let's talk about your high school and college career. What was your GPA in high school? Do you remember? Oh, and, and are you comfortable yeah. sharing? Yeah. I mean, I was a good student, you know. Uh, I think I graduated like 100 out of 400s or top 25. I probably could have applied myself a little more. Uh, I noticed you're not giving a number. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the number. It was definitely like a, I don't know if I had to give like a 85 or 86 average probably. So what's that, 3-0-ish? Yeah, probably. Okay. Right. I mean, you know, uh, definitely took office aid to bump up my GPA there a little bit my senior year. That the the all-encompassing office aid. All right, what about, what about college? What kind of college student were you? You know, I was a better college student because I really learned I had to manage my time while I was working. And attending college, uh, I graduated college with a 3.25. That's not bad. That's not bad. So yeah. I, I was just the opposite. I was pretty good high school student. College student I was decent most of the time. There may have been some semesters where, you know, you're flirting with the 2-0-ish. Oh, that was never me. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we can only live once, right? Apparently. In college, you can, I've been in college for 20 years, it feels like, after a you know, master's, doctorate, all that, but... I, just, I definitely got the maximum experience out of college. I'm not talking about education. I'm just talking about the Life. college, the college experience. Enjoyed, yeah. enjoyed every minute of it. So what advice do you give your own children about education that you did not follow? Hmm. I'll, you know, this is uh, going back. I would tell them to apply themselves 
But, you know, my kids are very driven already. I don't. So they're like mom? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're just very driven time. already. They want to do the best. Uh, sometimes I got to tell them to slow down a little bit. Like, go out and have fun. Relax. You know, she's like, oh, I got a test. Okay. It's going to be okay. Oh, I don't know anything. I mean, she does great. You know, so it's just really lessen the anxiety and let him be a kid. Be a kid. You know, the the thought of all A's, right? Like I've never, number one, I never made all A's, I don't think. Yeah, me neither. Um, but the thought of the importance of that and what I say about that, I've had to think like, I know I don't, I didn't do it. And do I really care that you get all A's? Not really. I want you to understand what the, the content, the objective, did you learn? And did yeah. you, can you demonstrate the learning? And if you, hey, you got to see, you got to see as long as you put the effort in. Um, but the fallacy of all A's, because I've never been asked my GPA ever for anything other than to get into college. And that was it. So I've been thinking about how do we reframe what we're asking of our, our kids, particularly when they're young and they're multiple of, of what's the expectation, right? Do you, is it all A's? Is it the honor roll? Or is it, hey, man, I just want you to experience it. I want you to learn and I want you to have questions about your learning because that will shape how you how you move through education. I want to see if they come home excited about some subject, yeah. you know, when I come home, I don't ask them, hey, how was your day? I mean, I do ask them that, but at the same time, I'm like, hey, what's the best part about your day? What part of learning was fun today? The, the, the right? lunch and PE is what I get in my house. Oh, man. You know, the, it, when I tell them what's the best part of your, about your day, like, yeah, you get lunch or PE, but a lot of times I'm like, hey, if we do the science experiment today and it was cool i'm like all right i'll take that yeah you know oh that's a yeah. that's a that's a win that's a win corn yeah. they had corn dogs is, is, that's usually what i get so if we're talking yeah. about actually something happening in class i'll take that 100 out of all 100. day well man i don't want to take up any more of your time i appreciate you joining us i sure. appreciate uh dr hark Ryder and the team over there for allowing you to appear and i know y'all are going to be very successful at willis isd thanks for being here man thanks for having me appreciate it Produced by Podcast Architects.